Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Tara Humphrey. I run an award-winning healthcare consultancy specialising in supporting primary care networks. I'm a facilitator. I am a mum of three. I have an MBA and I would class myself as a bit of an adventurer. And I absolutely love all things business, all things leadership, all things management. So I created this podcast for clinical and non-clinical colleagues working in the field of health and care and for those of you looking to develop your leadership skills. Every week we release an episode which focuses on the hard and soft skills required to lead in this increasingly complex environment as we move to delivering more integrated care. So let's jump into this week's episode. Hey, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So in this episode of the podcast, we welcome Dr. Farah Jamil. Farah is a GP, she's a chair, she's a non-executive director, and she is a former BMA GP committee chair. In this podcast with Farah, she shares how she manages being in the spotlight, how she managed uncharted territory during a really challenging period in her career. I asked her about her future aspirations and how strategic she is about pursuing them. We do talk about work-life balance. Farah said a busy diary could be the mark of an unproductive person, which I absolutely love. And when she said that, I also thought of what Dr. Manal Bakai said in episode 259, and that was, are you sabotaging your own process? We talk about imposter syndrome, and I also ask for a little bit of coaching. So, you know, I'm going to say I absolutely loved it. I think when it comes to leadership and doing your job, we always need to learn the technical aspects of the job, but there's also the non-technical aspects. At the very beginning, where I talk about the hard and the soft skills, the soft skills are so important. Knowing who you are, knowing your values, knowing your boundaries, understanding when you're productive, when to speak up, how to deal with pressure. You can tell I'm very passionate about those topics. It's so, so important, regardless of where you are in your professional career. I hope that you like it and I would love it if you shared it. Hey, Farah, thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? Oh, I'm well and much better for being here with you. I'm really looking forward to our chat, Tara. Well, most roads start on Twitter, but we actually met at last year's best practice. So thank you so much for your time. Would you be able to share with our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do today? Gosh, you know, I recently got asked this question and I started going off into designations. That's how I got introduced. And I thought, well, who am I really? So let's begin with the fact that I'm a mum. I'm a mum to two young kids. One's three and the other one's now nine months. Aside from that, in my day job, I'm a clinician, I'm a GP, I work in central London. I do that part-time and I do that part-time because until very recently, I used to be the chair of the GPs committee at the British Medical Association, the GPs committee in England. And prior to taking on that role, I was part of the executive team, so part of the contract negotiating team since 2017. 
So I've been circling that space of contract negotiations and GP representation policymaking for a few years. I wear a few other hats. So I'm a non-executive director at a mental health trust at Barnet Enfield Herringay Mental Health Trust. So quite a large, very large mental health trust. And I'm also a trustee of the Medical Women's Federation. At present, being mum, doing the NED role, and was recently elected back as the chair for my local medical committee in Camden. So you said you've recently been elected back. How did that come about? It's really interesting, actually, because I've been in this sort of soul-searching space of where does my passion lie? And I certainly have always enjoyed the health policy arena. I think I have a knack for detail and contracts and understanding on picking them. And also, I just really enjoy people. I really enjoy getting to know people and build relationships, build networks. I mean, I wouldn't be here if I hadn't done that with you. And I think the local medical committee work is very much in that space. So it's supporting colleagues locally with local contracts, getting to know practices, understanding, getting underneath the paperwork and the detail and trying to put some creative solutions and making a difference, Tara. (laughs) Why have you been soul searching? Your audience probably will have heard that I had some uncharted territory. I think that's the way I would describe it. And I think it sort of made me pause and think, what are my values? What am I really passionate about? It goes back to that first question you asked me, who are you? (laughs) And I think that was really important to revisit because sometimes we can get so busy doing the day job, you tend to sort of lose sight of the things that really matter. What's your purpose? Where are you hoping to get to? What difference do you want to make in the world? With that controversy in that uncharted territory, how did you deal with being in the spotlight? And I think people messaging you, I message you, people like, are you okay? Are you okay? So I think I'm going to just take us back in time a little bit. I, growing up, did a lot of sports, did a lot of very competitive sports. I used to swim competitively, and then I went on to do the shot put at the Indian Nationals. Proper competitive environment. And the reason I take you back there is about the things I learned then. It's not uncommon to not place first. It's not uncommon to place second or third or not even place. But that doesn't stop you training, and you pick yourself back up and you keep going. And I think that's what I drew back on when I felt what I felt. I come to the concept of failure. And I think this is a concept that perhaps as we grow older, becomes more and more difficult to understand and appreciate. But failure is happening all around us every day in the little things to big things, the different types of failures. But the key thing is what you do after. Do you recognize what's just happened? What can you learn from it? How do you pick yourself back up? And for me, I think now I look back in time and I was coached within an inch of my life through my formative years while I was in school. You know, I used to train three to five times a week. And the concept of failure was, okay, you're just going to get back up and you're going to keep going and you're going to try harder and you're going to make some better choices. And whether that's in the training environment, whether that's your diet, whether that's your technique, it's the same concept. What can you tweak? What can you improve? So coming back to people contacting me, I think it was so heartening. It was so overwhelming and so lovely to see such an outpouring of support and love and kindness from people who many I didn't even know, but who had seen me or had heard of me. I always make time. And I think that's one of the things I've always made time for people and it didn't matter where they came from or whether they were clinicians or not. Everyone was someone with a really good idea or someone who needed help, and I would do my best to help and support them. And when the time came, that outpouring of love came, and it held me up. It really did through some difficult times. But how am I where I am now? And I think it goes back to those formative years of training and recognizing failure for what it is and opportunity for growth. 
it's interesting. There'll be some people that say there's no such thing as failure. It's just a lesson learned. What is your view? Do you think when something doesn't go according to plan, is it a failure? I think we can call it different things. So we don't have to label it as a failure. We can reframe it in the way that you described it. But that's life. Things never go to plan. And the point is how you recover. Are you agile enough? Can you deploy some tactical maneuvers to get from A to B? So I use this analogy with my patients at times. Their life's a little bit like snakes and ladders. And sometimes you're five steps ahead and other times you're 10 steps back. But the point is, what's your trajectory and are you moving forward? So, you know, pick yourself up and keep moving forward. Whichever way we go, as long as that's our attitude to life, then we're gold. (laughs) I like that. So I once heard you say, and I think it was on a Phoenix GP session, I think you said, it's important to create a life that supports the job that you're trying to do. I don't remember that. (laughs) I always say to people that if you're a woman and you can do like two things, people say like, how do you do it? I do it like you do it. Sometimes you're really organized. Sometimes you're not. Sometimes you hire help. Sometimes that help lets you down. We're all doing the same things. I think outside the operational day-to-day juggling, not just family life, but like a portfolio career, multiple jobs, are there any further insights that you can offer to help people think about how do I need to create a life that supports the multiple jobs I'm trying to do? So to try and unpack it, one of the things I wasn't very good at previously, which I'm much better at now, is setting down boundaries. So whatever it is that takes your fancy, work life, home life, but also looking after your own self, so your personal life, and that could involve hobbies and whatnot, have you. Be very clear about how you're spending your time and on what, and then set down some boundaries. And I remember when I'd just become chair, my husband simply saying to me, I just need to emphasize the fact that it's really important you set down some clear boundaries. It's up to you what those are, but then stick to them. I didn't really understand it at the time. And that's a surefire way to burn out if you don't set down your boundaries. So how do you cope with busy jobs and a young family, I guess, is the question I'll reframe to myself. Now, I'm very conscious that I tend not to accept work outside of the nine to five. I mean, I am on mat leave anyway at the moment, but I'm very conscious of that as a going forward choice for myself and that my weekends and my evenings are for my family. There will be times when you have to make exceptions, but those are your exceptions to make. They're not the norm and you don't set expectations with the people that you're working with. So they know what you will be doing, when you will be doing. And slowly over time, saying no to things becomes easier. And people who want you for something will make sure that it's within the boundaries that you've laid down. So I think being clear on your boundaries is really important. But enlist as much support as you can. No one knows how you're feeling until you share it. And this is a really good statement for when you're nervous just before a presentation. But it's also a really good thing to bear in mind when you're struggling. People don't know because we're really good at masking things, you know, masking how we're coping. So until you ask for help, help doesn't arrive. So being very clear that actually I'm finding this is a lot on my plate at the moment. Could I have a two-week extension? Or if I complete these three tasks, can somebody take the fourth one? And just enlisting your team, you're never alone. So I think it's that, putting out those feelers, enlisting as much help and support. And that's in your home life and in your work life, both. So I'm not just showing principles for work life here. I think we're very good at masking to other people. 
but sometimes I think it's hard to admit you're struggling to yourself mm, and you convince yeah. yourself I'm fine or if you are struggling you're like what's wrong with me why am I struggling and you try to fight it versus do you know what this week isn't great or this day isn't great me and Valentina who's my assistant we had a conversation the other day and was like things feel so much easier because I used to make the mistake that if there was space in my diary that meant I could take a meeting and that if there was nothing in the diary there was a perception I wasn't doing anything and now I say when challenges do arise I can just process them so quickly because I've got the space to think whereas before it was very challenging being up to my eyes in meetings through fear of saying no and letting other people down. I think what you're sharing there is what works for you and how you've over time watched how your decision making capacity yeah. and capability competency has improved with allowing yourself some time and space for reflection and consolidation because these things are important and you're absolutely right to recount that here a busy diary is usually a sign of an unproductive diary <laughs> you just don't have time to think you're just going from one thing to the next to the next to the next and good on you but at some point you need to sit back and just take the whole thing in and unpick what you're going to let go or what's adding value and what isn't and where's the time to do that if you're going from one thing to the next I love that phrase but when you think about your GP colleagues they will think well it's all right for you it's different for me I can't say no Maybe it's just the same advice. It is just setting your boundaries and saying no. But it is sometimes hard to say no when sometimes you're the linchpin in lots of other people's lives and projects. But that's a problem in itself, isn't it? Because how have you empowered your team to survive without you, to manage and cope and make decisions without you if they need you for everything? That's what we call hero or heroine leadership, isn't it? What you really want is teams who are empowered to make choices and decisions for themselves. And have you had the opportunity and the time to do that? And if you haven't, is that because you have a busy diary and you haven't had the time to sit down and really think what a restructure might look like, what kind of strategy you might have to play out in your day-to-day GP practice or in whatever other leadership role that you're currently involved with? I think that's the point. I'm reminded of a recent conversation where someone was on holiday and they were being contacted repeatedly. And I felt very sorry for them because no doubt their holiday was interrupted. But why is that? And I think that's the question that individual needs to answer and put a strategy in play for. Not the, oh, woe is me. I was repeatedly bothered on holiday. So what are you going to do about it next? But that requires time to think and come up with a plan. And it needs investment in bringing your team together and identifying who the next person is who can take on a little bit more. All of these things take time that you can't realize that benefit from one day to the next Hi everyone, this podcast is brought to you in partnership with Best Practice, where we will be interviewing some of the speakers and sponsors attending the event in Birmingham on the 11th and 12th of October. If you are already registered to attend, do let us know as we would love to meet you. And if you are still to register your place, please click on the link in the show notes. Now, let's jump back into this week's episode. So you say you're on maternity leave. So clinically, yes, I am. I won't be returning to clinical practice for a year and then I'll have some annual leave tacked onto it. So probably be gone about 13, 14 months from clinical practice. Essentially, I want to spend time with my children as much as I can. And I think that's the other thing. I've had a life event which has allowed me to really zoom into what my key priorities are. And I think for a long while, I'd lost sight of that. 
And I've got two very young children who deserve my time, who I want to spend time with, and I have the luxury to be able to do that. I say all of those things because those are all privileges to have children, to want to spend time with them, and then to have the ability to do that. I mean, I will eat a lot of baked beans during that time, but (laughs) (laughs) it's hard not to be employed. But that is my choice that I choose to make, and I want to spend some time with them while they're young. What sort of mum are you? Are you good cop, bad cop? I can be quite a stickler for rules and routine. So in that sense, I can be quite a hardcore mum. But I think my approach is very much these are phases. And usually there's a phase for a week or a few weeks or a few months, and then it moves on. So I'm patient in that respect. I mean, it's a good way to parent, right? Just reminding yourself, it's a phase, it will pass. My eldest is 15. I can't believe that. I look at her and I think, how? But yeah, everything is a phase. And even when it is really hard, so hard, it's a phase. It's a good thing to live by. I think you have to stop fighting it and just embrace it and bring them in for a hug. A hug solves most things. (laughs) So you'll look at me and be like, get off, (laughs) mum. I get a lot of hugs, so I'm still in that phase. (laughs) Enjoy it. Do you think much about the future or are you quite now in the present? You're on maternity leave. You've had that period of reflection. And are you just focused on the now or are you quite strategic? I mean, I've reached out to you. You're coming to best practice. People want you. People want your time. (laughs) Let's not act like they don't. Firstly, I think it's, again, I'm just going to say this. It's so heartening that people want me around. Thank you. I'm really, really grateful for that love and kindness that people have shown me. And it really is kindness. But coming back to being strategic. So I'm currently pursuing a fellowship. It's a company called Leaders Plus, and they're essentially a social initiative to support parents of young children to their next step. So mid to senior level to their next jump. And the idea being that just because you're a parent of a young child shouldn't stop you from aspiring to C-suite type positions, executive, board roles, etc. And so you might say, hang on a second, Farah, that's pretty strategic if you're on that fellowship. I've never had any formative leadership training up until now. And I identified a gap and I wanted that. So I I reached out and I was very grateful that they selected me because it is a selection at the end of the day. And through that program, I've been exposed to a lot of interesting concepts, which I wish I had had before. So things like visioning, where are you going? What is your three-year plan? What is your five-year plan? And what do you need to put in play to get there? So let's say completely out of the blue, I want to go and work for the WHO. Well, okay, do I know anyone at the WHO? No. Okay, so how am I going to go and get that job? So really thinking carefully about what steps you need to put in play, what networks you need to try and tap into, really being very purposeful about the next moves and the next steps and the people you meet or the programs you choose or the lectures you attend, really thinking a bit more carefully about this. They also talk about other concepts like assumptions, and we all do this. We have assumptions about people, about the world, about jobs, about organizations. And actually, are those assumptions even real? Are they assumptions that you've arrived at on your own without really any meat behind it? And are those assumptions then holding you back? Are they limiting you? 
And then what could you do to liberate yourself from those limiting assumptions? So some really interesting concepts there. So am I being strategic at this moment in time? I think what I am doing is identifying gaps. Significant life events allow you to do that if you reflect. Identify the gaps and go away and fill them and grow through them. Do I know where I'm headed to next? I certainly enjoy health policy. I love that space. I love being a clinician. I cannot put to you how much I enjoy being with my patients and making a difference. So I really enjoy that. I know I want to be able to straddle both for as long as I can. And so if and when the right opportunities come along, I will say yes. But for the moment, I'm quite happy being mum, young kids, and I'm still dabbling in a bit of health policy, both at a national and at a local level. And don't forget, my NED role is an incredibly fulfilling role. I'm working where I live, making a difference to service users in my community and translating national policy and supporting local strategy. It's a really interesting role. I, by the way, recommend everyone should get a non-executive director. The stretch that you get out of it and that mindset shift from operational day-to-day to strategic three, five-year visioning is incredible. I love that answer. I've just been making some notes when you're speaking. That strategic bit, I think people rewind that bit. And I would say it's different, but I can relate to you. So I've got my business and I love that and that is growing, but I really want to develop a special interest in type 1 diabetes. And somebody said to me, okay, Tara, are you interested in advocacy? Are you interested in children or adults? Do you want to be a local champion? Are you interested in more of the private sector? Are you interested in more NHS? Do you want to be an advisor? And I'm interested because I've got a daughter with type 1 diabetes, but I don't just want to look at it from mine and her perspective. I want to make a difference on a broader scale. And I don't just want to be seen as the mum. But when you're non-clinical, in my experience, how do I step into that clinical world? It's like, well, Tara, you're just the mum. So I am being very strategic and it takes time. I'm going on an education course. I'm now sitting on an advisory board. I'm doing courses off my own back to understand deeper the condition. And it's not just about me, me, me. So I think that we've both provided some really good examples about how you're strategic and it does take time. It's not like I've got this idea and bang, but people will look at you and go, oh, she just decided this and like now she's there. And they don't see all of the steps that you're doing in between to get to where you are. So one of the things I wanted to ask you, Farah, is do you believe in imposter syndrome? Because I feel like I've got it in abundance. One of the things I say to a lot of people is people don't know how you feel until you share it. So until you just shared it, I would have never, ever thought that about you. Because to me, you are a confident, wonderful, you know, you carry yourself so well, you're super articulate. I would never imagine that you have imposter syndrome. So coming back to the question on whether I believe it or not, to be honest, I've always been a bit hesitant about the concept of imposter syndrome. For a while, it was fashionable and people spoke about it. And I thought, okay, yeah, yeah, maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what I might also have. I never fully ever came out and articulated the feelings I would have from time to time in situations or in meetings or in discussions. I think more than anything else, it's nothing but discomfort. Discomfort is good to have. It's good to identify what makes you uncomfortable. And it's good to understand it because that is information and data about yourself. And it gives you opportunity to go away and work on that. But if you don't tap into it, then you've simply ignored it and bottled it. And that's an area of growth. If something makes me uncomfortable, 
I ask myself, why am I uncomfortable? And a good example I have is English is my second language. And so for the longest time, I'd sit in meetings and I wouldn't understand words, certain words, and I would write them down on a piece of paper and I'd go and look them up. Very simple thing to do. And actually, you can use complex words or you can speak English in a very simple way. You can still convey the same message. But that used to make me uncomfortable. So I would speak less. So once I understood that and I worked on it, it allowed me to take away that discomfort. So really, is that imposter syndrome or is that just information about yourself for an area of growth? The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you proudly in partnership with 10,000 donors and their Gob for Good campaign. Gob for Good is all about getting as many people as possible to join the stem cell registry. Only 3% of the UK are registered to be stem cell donors and only 0.4% of the global population. If you or a loved one have the devastating news that you have been diagnosed with a blood cancer, the chances of you finding your blood stem cell match is significantly reduced if you have a minority ethnic heritage. It is really, really simple. All you need to do is click into the show notes or visit the Gob for Good website at gobforgood.com and get yourself signed up to the registry. You could one day receive that life-saving call or one day you may need that life-saving call. Now, let's jump back into this week's episode. What has been the highlight of your week? I almost feel like I need to look at my diary. It's been so busy. (laughs) I mean, last night I was hosting the BAME Health and Care Leaders Award. I was in a room full of incredibly inspirational people all over the NHS. And I mean, that was just one evening. (laughs) I'm meeting my mentor tonight for dinner. So I'm looking forward to that. I took my daughter swimming this morning. It's difficult to pick one thing. And that's just in the space of the last 24 hours or in immediate 24 hours that I've given you three things. I'm going to put that question back to you, Tara. Inspire me. What's your highlight of the week? This is hands down, easy peasy. My daughter has just gone on to hybrid closed loop. So she's got type 1 diabetes and I feel like I'm going to cry when I think about it. I don't know why. I say to people, there's health tech that makes life efficient and quick and you can book appointments. And don't get me wrong, that probably is life changing to some people. It can create that massive organisational change. That's one level of health tech. And then you've got health tech that can really change somebody's life and change a whole family's life. That has been the highlight of my week. And I feel so grateful. We feel so grateful because we get it on the NHS. We see path them. And what's really lovely is that I think the beauty of social media is depending where you sit in the system, you've got these people that like executives. It's like, what do they do? (laughs) What do they do all day? And Partha shares what he is doing and the difference that he's making and the challenges that he is making. And then as a family, I experience the impact of the effort of what is going on behind the scenes. So it's like Christmas in our house and Tali's like, I was high and I got out my PDM and then I realised I don't need to do anything. It's so good. For our listeners, I must say that Tara's face, if you saw it now, she's just beaming. (laughs) (laughs) I hear that happiness in your voice. We were talking before we began recording how I learned so much about diabetes through your posts. And I saw that post, actually. So I felt that happiness with you. I shared it with you. But I think coming back to your question, I have to say it's being able to spend the time that I'm able to with my kids at the moment and certainly with my nine-month-old. So it's a highlight of every week. (laughs) 
But, you know, I missed a trick there when you asked me that question first up. I should have said, surely speaking to you, Tara. Yeah, you should have done. And that wasn't a factor at all. (laughs) Oh, I tell you, I tell you, this morning you tweeted at me about your day. And I just thought, yes, this is a great way to bookend a Friday and to start a weekend having a chat to you. (laughs) Are you a coach? So I'm currently pursuing an executive coaching certificate. Yes. You can practice on me. So before we press record, you asked me how I'm doing and I said, oh, fine. But there was something that I was wrestling with. And that was, I've encountered a few occasions recently where people have said to me, I feel like you don't do enough to talk about equality, diversity, racism. You don't share your story. It's like everything is good and I just don't do enough. And to a degree, I agree. I did go through a period where I did and we set up a scholarship fund and I gave 17 grand of my profits to scholarships and grants to people from ethnically diverse backgrounds. But I've not done that for a couple of years. And it makes me feel like a bad black person. I feel like I'm not representing, but I don't know how. And it's not really to do with imposter, but I just feel like I'm not actually a good person to share my story because there's no rags to riches story. I suppose the question I have to myself is why does it matter? And what I want help with is some reflective questions to help me understand why it does matter to me and why I do feel the way that I do. It's that sounding board versus me just try to figure it out and tie myself in knots in my head. I was going to say, how long do you have? (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like, Tara, maybe we can have a separate conversation about this at length. What you just did there was you allowed yourself to think out loud and you thought in a very clarifying way about some of the things that you're uncertain about. So I wanted to try and understand why you are uncertain. What's behind that? Because I sit outside of the NHS. I don't share the same experiences of people potentially looking to me for advice. If you work in a hospital, I've not worked in a hospital. I did used to work in a university. And when I thought this isn't the place for me, I just left. If I don't like something, I will leave and I will just forge my own path. And I don't think that that is inspiring. I think that's like, I'm not a fighter. I don't need you. I'll move around you. So I don't think that that is helpful, but that's what I do. So we began this conversation in a space where you were thinking about how you might or you could apply yourself to talk about EDI-related matters. And your conversation has now moved into a, I almost want to use the word imposter place, where you feel you don't belong to the NHS, so you can't contribute on matters to the NHS, which is interesting given all the work that you do do. And you've also then shared that you just leave. But I can see a very clear example of how you don't, and you show up day after day by being a mum by looking after a daughter who's got diabetes and how you've persevered. So I almost want to test that assumption that you've just given us about yourself. I'll test it away from the podcast. So thank you. And I think just to wrap this conversation up, Business of Healthcare podcast is a leadership podcast. And I think that for all of the tools and tactics everybody shares, I think not everybody all the time, but you have a dialogue that goes on in your mind And this, for me, is a great way to share the highs and lows and the thoughts, because when you're leading, the more clear you are in who you are, the better you are able to lead. And sometimes you compartmentalize certain things. But when you're leading, whether it's on a small or grand scale, 
the more solid you feel in yourself, the easier it is to lead. And I feel shaky, but I think it's good to share. I hope I never present myself like, look at me, I'm the finished article. Is anyone the finished article? No, they're not. But I can definitely think of some people that portray that they are. I did a post on like what makes a good podcast interview. And some people come on here without being rude. They don't share. As soon as we press stop, it all comes out. And you don't have to share your life story. But I think sometimes people portray one thing when they really are another. I think we all probably do to a degree. But from a podcasting perspective, I definitely experience that. So there's a few things I've seen along the way, and I think I can relate to. I think it's an important message not to overshare and be mindful of your audience. Be mindful of how you come over, get some feedback on how you come over, etc. I think those are all important tools on self-improvement. But we all need to also feel safe enough to be who we truly are and lead from that space. Personally, that's the most courageous type of leadership. That's the type of leadership that inspires people. And actually, maybe what we're seeing is a shift in that leadership style, whereas previously it was very sort of hero leadership, very sort of command and control. And now actually we're distributing, we're creating value and creating sub-teams and lots of different multiple sub-team leaders, etc. I mean, just as an example, look at the climate change discussion and debate. We've got a very charged younger generation who are leading the fight on this. And they have a very interesting, different style. And it is achieving significant change. So I can't say that there's one style or another and which one is the best. It's difficult to say, but different people will bring that out in different spaces. And that's okay. Different people will be inspired by those different people. But I just want to circle back to where your question on coaching began. I put to you this, something which Bola Overlabi has said to me about being intentional. Followed then by Margaret Ikpo talking about recognizing that our positions are time limited. Platforms we enjoy are time limited. And whilst we have the platform, we have a duty. We have a duty to inspire. We have a duty to lead. And we have a duty to enter discussions and debates which do not always fit in with our job role. And so I leave you with that because I do think it is important for us all to enter into discussions that make us feel uncomfortable, even if we are not subject matter experts. If you have a view and you have a strong opinion that matters, know that there are people behind you who do not have your platform and that there are people behind you, behind me, who do not have the language, who do not have the education, who are reliant upon people like us to speak for them. So that is something I hold close to me. And I now enter discussions which are uncomfortable because they matter deeply. Let's leave it there. Thank you so much. And I will see you in best practice. Sounds fabulous. Thanks very much, Tara. so much for joining us. If you like what you hear, I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five-star review. 
I know many of you give us a shout out on social media, which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast. So please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram and on LinkedIn. Just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, please do. You get to hear more insights, more confessions, some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode. 